0: Through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, when we last took a look, he was in Jerusalem during winter time at the Feast of Lights, and then he left Jerusalem and he went across the River Jordan. And now we come, which was in the winter time, and now we've come close to the spring, and we see that Jesus is now. Heading his way back to Jerusalem. And so in Luke chapter 13, verse 23, we'll pick up from there. And it says in verse 22 And he was passing through the city and the village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Now, I find this interesting, and even though this took place during the first century, uh, it still goes today. We all like to argue theology. For you see, in their theology, there were two views that all of Israel would be saved. And then there was the other view that no, not everyone from Israel would be saved. And so there was this controversy, and so they asked Jesus, is there just a few being saved? I find, uh, while I'm very much uh, in favor of having correct theology, uh, we have this tendency to fight more about whether we're right or wrong, and then because somebody disagrees with our theology, we somehow think that they're less than Christian, or maybe not even saved. So people will have these heated discussions about uh, predestination versus free will, or whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib rapture. And, And I've kind of experienced from all sides the sense of when you have a disagreement with somebody, somehow all of a sudden They don't think you're saved. And so uh, that's kind of, they're asking Jesus to kind of solve this theological point. But notice what Jesus does. He does not answer the question directly. He says this, and he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to Jesus doesn't answer the question about few or many. What he says is, the question is, what about you? And we are all so often worried about the world that we forget to think about us. What is our journey? What is our destination? So Jesus uses the term door uh, because he has, in his other teachings, talked about that he is the door, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And um, so so basically Jesus announces that there is an exclusive way to heaven. Now, a lot of people think that we Christians are so exclusionary. Well, heaven's not my home. It will be. But I didn't create it. I didn't set the rules. God did. So if you have a problem with God being exclusionary, I suggest you take it up with him. But I suspect the answer will be you won't have the words to say. Because when you come in front of a holy God, you will be like Isaiah, who says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. And so I want to use, instead of a doorway, something that we're more kind of familiar with, and that's a street or a highway. When I was a child, I would go with my mom from Los Angeles to Virginia, and we would do that every summer. And we would take Route 66. Now I'm showing my age because some of you all you know about Route 66 is either it used to be a really old television show that was a black and white, or you might have heard it through some kind of music or whatever. But it was an actual place, and it was pretty much in most places a two-lane highway. By a two-lane highway, I don't mean two lanes going one way and two lanes going another way. It was one lane going one way and one way coming back the other way. and it we would go there and Route 66 would basically end in uh, about Little Rock, and then it would head up toward Chicago. We would take a different highway. So let's say, for the sake of it, that in order to get to heaven, you need to go on Route 66. Route 66 goes east and west, at least until Arkansas. If you are traveling on Interstate Highway 5, I don't care how busy, whether it's through traffic and and rush hour or whether there's nobody on the highway and you can travel fast, you can go above the speed limit. The problem is you're going in the wrong direction. And I don't care how fast you're going, you're not getting any closer to the east because the route, because Highway 5 goes north and south. It can take you from the uh, Mexico border to the Canadian border, and you can make great time, but you're no closer to the east than when you started. And Jesus is saying it's not about how many people are traveling on the road, and it's not a matter of whether other people are traveling on the right road. Are you on the right road? So he passes the question. Now, Jesus has said it so in other areas where he said, "There is a way and few who find it. And so there should not be a whole lot of comfort if we find ourselves traveling with a large group. But then he says something even more. So he tells us, one, make sure you go the right direction through the door, or on my example, on the highway. He says, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open it up to us. Here's the next warning that we should take heed to. There is a time when he's going to shut the door. We think... I have all of eternity, in essence, to respond to Jesus. The answer is, you have all of your life to respond to Jesus. And the question is, you don't know how long that is. You may have four-stage terrible cancer, and you may think that you have only a certain time, and the next person to you is young and vibrant, and you think, boy, they have all their life ahead of them. And then they get hit by a bus. Tomorrow is promised to no one. So Jesus is saying, not only should you enter the door, but you should do so now. Because there may come a time when the master of the house will say, that's it. And so he says, and you're going to be on the outside knocking on the door. And notice the response. And the Lord opened up to us. Then he will answer and say to... You, I do not know where you're from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Now I'm going to kind of update that for today's world. You're going to say, Jesus, I had brunch with you. We were cool. We were together. I went to some of your seminars. You, you taught some in parables and I didn't quite understand it. But they were kind of the stories were cool. And you know the women were they were kind of good looking and I dated a couple of them. You know that they were good women. They were nice women. That's so, you know, I dated some. And um, so so you, you should know. And, and I even hung around some of the people that you call disciples and some of them were pastors and they would preach and i oh, yeah yeah later and said so jesus i know you i i cuz i've heard about you i ate with you i even i even hung i even saw you feed 5000 with loaves and fishes that was a cool stunt i don't know how you did it but that was great and and i was there and and I saw all these miracles. And I saw you even one time heal a blind man. Wow, that was cool. And a lot of people got to know you and and and, and I was impressed. The answer they give is I know you. I know what you did. I saw these things. And unfortunately, We do the very same thing in the 21st century as they did when Jesus was ministering on earth. Yeah, I saw you. Yeah, I heard you. I know who you are. But notice what the response is. I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me. You, all you evildoers. But notice he said before that, I will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me. The answer to the question is not whether we know Jesus, but whether Jesus knows us. He just taught in Jerusalem, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. He is consistently, this isn't a new teaching. Jesus is telling him, it's not so much whether you know him, does he know you? And the comments are pretty rough. I tell you, I do not know where you are from, Depart from me, all you evildoers. Yeah, but God, I thought I lived a pretty good life. You know, I did more good things than bad things. It's not a matter of weighing. Even if it were, you would be found wanting. He says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus's short or long form of, You're going to end up in hell. When Jesus ever talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, he's talking about great discomfort eternally. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. He's saying, you're going to see all the Old Testament guys. You're going to see Abraham. You're going to see Isaac. You're going to see Jacob. You're going to see the prophets. You're going to see them in the kingdom, but you'll be ushered out. You think because you are children of Abraham, somehow that entitles you to get out of hell card. Not so. And they will come from the east and west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus has just really gone too far because he's saying you people who are relying on being the children of Abraham will see the true children of Abraham entering into the kingdom and you will see people who are Gentiles The people that you look down on, because they weren't the people of God. They will come from the north and the south and the east. They'll come from all directions, and they will recline at the table. They will be served. They will receive the benefits of the kingdom, because I know them. And behold, some are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. For you see, it has taken Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Daniel, and Nehemiah, and Hosea, and Haggai, and John the Baptist, a long time to see the kingdom of God. They may have been first, but they are now last. And the people coming from the north and the south may have been last, and they're getting there, but they're first. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, I don't know if you catch it, but I find this mildly ironic. Because every time Jesus teaches, the Pharisees pick up stones to kill him. They're really worried about Jesus' life. You would think if they were being honest, they would say, Herod's. they wouldn't say anything. Let Herod get it. Rid of him because that's what they want. But you see, it's not necessarily they want his life at this point. They want him out of there. They don't want him teaching. They don't want him going to Jerusalem. They don't want him doing what the Father has called him to do. So they tell him about a threat. Oh, Herod the king. You know, and after all, he beheaded John. So he's somebody to take serious. So you need to get out of here. I know you're heading toward Jerusalem, but that's a dangerous place. But notice what he says. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. So this gives you a clearer understanding of what Jesus thinks about Herod. He's a conniving, deceitful person. He's that fox, he's crafty. So you go tell. Him. So Jesus isn't saying, Oh, you, you told me this for my benefit. You told me this thinking somehow I would cower. So he says, Go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I reach my goal. Now, Jesus isn't saying in three days he's going to be in Jerusalem. He's saying that he has a plan, an agenda. And those those plans are to continue to teach, to continue to heal, to continue to minister. And he is going to do that regardless of the threat. Because he knows what the Father's plan is, and he's following the Father's plan day after day after day. So many of us want to follow God when we are in a threat. God's saying, Jesus is saying, I'm following the will of the Lord every day. Threat or no threat. I'm not changing what I do because there may be a threat. I'm continuing to minister. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, or it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. He's saying the place where the temple of God is, the place where they ought to be listening to the prophets, the place where there should be spiritual hunger and spiritual movement is the place where they reject the people that God has sent, his prophets. Now, not every prophet died in Jerusalem, but many did. And Jesus is saying If Herod is a true threat, then it will happen in Jerusalem, which it will. And then he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wing, and you would not have it. We love the verse that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Because we think about that, and we think about all the people who will come to Him, all the people that are going through that narrow door, and we think of that. This is a tremendous statement of love. Jesus is saying, I love those people who hate me. I love those people who reject me. I love those people who will crucify me. We think about God's love and how he loves us. And yet we were enemies of God at one time. And God is saying, I love those who even reject me. It's not just that he loves the world. And he demonstrated that love on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He showed his love by forgiveness, even when they crucified him. And his desire was for Jerusalem to gather them under, to protect them, to love them, to make sure that they are close and yet they would not have any of it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord a prophecy of Jesus that is going to happen in a short period of time. On that Sunday before Passover, he will enter Jerusalem, not before, as he says, you're not going to see me in Jerusalem before that day. But when that day happens, you will say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, Jesus is always in control. He laid down His life for us. He had authority to lay it down, and He had authority to pick it back up. Jesus was in control even when we think He isn't. And Jesus is in control of our lives when even we think He isn't. So, The question asked is, how many? And let's face it, we usually, we like, we love to be loved. We love to be popular. We love to have, to be in places that it's happening. And so there are churches after this pandemic that will be filled again. And they'll have outstanding music. And they'll have what they consider to be great preaching. The jury's out as far as I'm concerned. And they'll say, well, because this place is filled, this must be where the Lord is. Maybe we should be reminded of what Elijah found out there was a great earthquake, but God wasn't there. There was a great wind blowing, and God wasn't there. He was there in the still, small voice. Maybe we get around a crowd so large that it blocks out our hearing of our shepherd. And we should not find comfort that we find ourselves in a large or small group. We should find comfort in the fact that we hear his voice and he knows me. And so the question that Jesus asked, I ask in a different way. not only are you going on the right highway, not only are you going through the right door, does that door know you? Are you on the narrow way? Are you just along for the ride? One of the ways to know that is to make a commitment to him that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Route 66 is a narrow highway. It runs through the desert. You might say, well, if God, he would certainly want me to go through, you know, like the vineyards of Northern California where it's kind of neat and Instead, he sends us through a desert. One of the ways that you know that he knows you is on your travel, you're not alone, for he is with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't say, I once knew you, but now I forgot. He says, I never knew you. Once he knows you, your name is written in the book of life, and it will never be removed. And so, if heaven is real, and it is, and God wants you to be there, and he does, then we should take seriously going through The door he has chosen. So that we might, as those who come from the north and the south and the east and the west, recline at his table and receive all the benefits of the kingdom of God. For you see, those who aren't there are going to find not only that they miss out, On those blessings. They will probably get much of their wish. For you see, they were comfortable saying there is no God. And it will end up in a place where there is no God and no hope. So that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth since we do not know when the door closes. As the word says, now is the acceptable time. Now is the acceptable place. You know him, wonderful. Follow him closely. If you've gotten away from him, he doesn't say, oops, I don't remember you. He says, I know you. Welcome back. And if you're not his, I encourage you to make the decision now to decide to follow Jesus and all God's people said.